Crack, and you're listening to Molly Huddle, Alicia Montano, and Roisin McGettigan-Dumas. We want to highlight the important topics, inspiring stories, and amazing women in sport. We're three Olympians from two countries, two moms, and one current pro coming together to talk about issues we're passionate about in the sports world. And we care about the current and future landscape of women's sports. And this is just how we're keeping track. Today we talk to Shalane Flanagan about her mixed emotions upon retiring from an illustrious 15-year career as one of the best distance runners in the world, her recent knee surgeries, her transition into coaching with the Bowerman Group, how she and Elise Kopecky became inspired to write a cookbook series that helps nourish athletes, and her experiences learning how to separate body image from performance. We also talk about her feelings about Nike as an entity and about advocating for yourself and for your visions. Thanks for keeping track. Okay, welcome to episode nine of Keeping Track. We have a great guest today, but first I want to see, we have all three of us back, Roisin and Alicia. What's going on with you ladies? Hi. Woo, Uh, a lot is going on, um, as always. I think that's going to be my answer every time, you know. Um, Call me two weeks after birth and see what's going on. Oh, wait, the answer might be a lot. Probably um, in like so, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so for me on this side of the fence, I'm now in my seven months of pregnancy. I'm feeling like I'm slowing down quite a bit. Um, not to use that as a negative frame of reference of how I feel, but like literally I just, um, I don't have as much energy one and physically, you know, everybody knows that pregnant runner. I'm like that pregnant wogger. <laughs> it's like a walk dog shuffle but I feel good being able to get out there and uh on the other side you know we're still doing a lot of work with dream maternity and I have uh just touched down from fortune magazine's um most powerful women uh conference which was so incredible to me mm-hmm. all these incredible women making all these changes um one of them in particular Jesse Miles uh Dyer actually I'm just gonna say Jesse. Miles, I'm not sure how to say her last name. <laughs> I'm going to get that right. I hate when I say people's names wrong. Uh, but she had fought for equal pay in Women's Surf League. And I can't, I'm like dying to get her on the show. So we're, we're, we're hoping that she uh, will get some compliance from the, the, um, the Surf League to come on our show because we, we want to know, like, where do we go and how can you help us, you know, move the needle across other sports. So a lot of work over here. What about you? Yeah, Ro, what's going on with you? (laughs) I'm pretty busy myself, but getting ready to go to Ireland for Christmas. I'm the fam back home and um, can't wait for that. Um, But otherwise, I've just wrapped up my Olympic school program that I have in Ireland, actually. And in our first year, we've had over 60 school visits by 12 Olympians and Paralympians. And I'm really excited about the response from it. And It's just so nice to read the reviews and how much the athletes have been enjoying it and the schools have been enjoying it. So I'm just very excited and hopeful um, after the first year of that project to like see some results from it. And hopefully that will lead to continuing it and expanding it in the future. So that's just personally my little victory of the year. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Dare to believe. Yeah. 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 So we had funding from the International Olympic Committee for the first year um, and we just kind of wrapped up our, our goals and we actually um, well, sort of overachieved. <laughs> I'm like, what's the word? 
Um, <laughs> we hit like we went to more schools and visited more people, saw more kids um, than we had set out to do. And we actually have some budget left. So I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, that's awesome. Hopefully there's a Dare to Believe USA version coming out soon. Yeah, so when you get onto the when you streamline the Irish version, bring it over. Yeah, just get the USOC, you know, a call. <laughs> Anyone? <Call>. Out there? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, how how are things for you, Molly? How's that? Uh, how's training down in Arizona? Um, it's going. We're just kind of trying to optimize some things with my foot mechanics. Um, that's kind of between the getting the shoes correct and being able to finish 26.2 on a um, really difficult course, we've got a lot of um, weaknesses to correct. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of what we're focusing on this next week or two. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And then just kind of trying to be, be consistent, take steps every day and um, Mm -hmm. hopefully fit in a Christmas somewhere in the middle of that. (laughs) Yeah. And on the shoes, are you talking, he's brought out like the, percent shoes or what, what what do we even call them so they just launched their endorphin pro um which is their version of a carbon plate shoe in some stacked foam they launched that at the running event uh last week and i think it's going to be available to buy in the spring so that's it's, a, it's actually a whole line there's a trainer a flat um and kind of an in-between level shoe all right wow all right fancy <laughs> So what of the amazing Shalane Flanagan, guys? Like, that was such an incredibly, like, it was just an incredible conversation. I feel fired up about all the things that she's moving towards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know she's is such an inspirational person. Her career is inspirational, but she was very, very nice guest and very open and very real. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, it was a great conversation, a lot about her transition from running, which had really um, been the pe- the focus of her life for 15 years. And now she's moving on to coaching. We talk a lot about that and just talk a lot about um, her other contributions to the running world in the way of her cookbook and um, things like that. Yeah. And we, we even touch on um, the controversy of, you know, being a Nike athlete coach with everything that Nike is under fire about right now and her realness to just kind of share what she's doing to hopefully make some changes around uh, around the the house of Nike. So, you know, we have to remember Nike is a woman and it's so important that our women are going to be the ones hopefully that are, are leading the way towards this change. Yeah. Yes, Alicia. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and we'd have to get her back on because I have so many more questions for Shalane. So. <laughs> we could have been on there forever, yeah. but yeah. you know, for yeah. the sake of everybody <laughs> listening, we, yeah. we understand. <laughs> So awesome. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, and the one more thing I did want to say is, you know, we are going to have, uh, I'm making sure we're going to have some sort of dinner wine date and, you know, we can all dive into all these topics at length and have a visual oh, yeah. where people are watching that. us just kind of go nuts. So <laughs> yeah. we'll have time. <laughs> Let's do it. And one more thing, um, again, thanking everyone for the continued um, ratings and comments. That, they've been pretty positive. Um, we've definitely been taking that feedback. And um, we love hearing from you. We've heard from quite a few people already. So our email, again, is ladies at keeping-track.com. And just the last little plug for the training journals, if you're looking for a little gift for your runner friends, um, if you go to believeiam.com or believejournal.com, you can get 20% off any of the Believe training journals. 
series that Lauren Fleshman and myself wrote. Um, and the code there again is keeping track 2020. So thanks for those of you who've already taken advantage of that little discount. Thank you. All right, everyone enjoy this interview with the real Shalane Flanagan. We're here with Alicia and Roisin and our guest today, the one and only Shalane Flanagan. We're talking to Shalane about a lot of things. We know about her illustrious career and now her foray into the coaching world. Um, thanks for making time to talk to us, Shalane. We're excited to talk to you. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you guys out of uh, outside of uh, track meets and cross-country meets and marathons. So it's it's a treat to be here. Thanks. First, I'm I'm one. I'm curious about just what's laying in front of you right now. Um, I the transition you know, from the daily grind of getting up, doing the run, doing the rehab, doing the massage, taking the nap, going back, doing it again, and then mm -hmm. going to sleep. Cause I was like three sessions in like one, one day and like kind of flipping that and just kind of some of the things that you are going through from like a mental and emotional standpoint. Cause I think that's like rarely tapped on. It's just like, Oh, obviously this is a seamless transition <laughs> because we know you're fabulous. Um, yeah. And you're going to be fabulous at whatever you do. But like, what are some of the things that you you have gone through in this this period before making the decision to um, to, to transition? Well, you just described my life for the last 15 years. Run, eat, sleep, repeat. Um, and I enjoyed every second of it. Um, it was hard. It was super challenging. Um, but I I loved it. And it was my passion. and um, it's a really difficult moment when you realize like this is no longer going to be my life. And what does my life look beyond just the run, eat, sleep, repeat. But I think over the last, uh, you know, three years, I could see kind of my passions starting to expand beyond running. And I could see my body starting to just kind of show signs that it was also um, not wanting to take on so many miles and, um, altitude camps, and I was just craving being home and with my family more and more. So while I loved what I was doing, and I felt like I was really good at what I was doing, and I was meant to run, um, my passions just started to expand, and it was started to pull me more and more towards other things. And I realized that I was getting more joy out of watching my teammates, um, their successes, and I was getting just um, more uh, like more involved in what they were doing. And I was not feeling as much gratification with my own running. Um, and while it was still going well, I just, uh, running wise for my own running, I just didn't, um, it didn't have that same fire and passion that I had. And I was excited about just pouring myself into other projects, um, like coaching. Um, I knew that that was an opportunity with Nike and um, working with Jerry and Pascal is like a dream. And I think the hardest part about moving on from athletics, uh, for me, what was going to be hard was the people. Like, I love who I work with and the opportunity to actually keep working with those people, but not have to put myself physically and mentally through the grind of training and racing. Um, it That just seemed like a dream opportunity. And so when that was like a reality for me um, and I discussed that with Nike, I just felt like that was pulling at me more and more. Um, and then, you know, the reality of also wanting a family and children and then 
Um, having more projects with my co-author, Elise, uh, with Run Fast, uh, Eat Slow was also just kind of, I wanted to just give more of myself into those projects. So it was not easy mm -hmm. um, transition. I think the last year I didn't really express it a lot, but it was, I felt like I was in like purgatory because I knew I wanted to move on. But at the same time, I felt like I needed to honor myself and my career by trying to just see if there was still that opportunity of one more Olympics in my body. But my knees pretty much decided for me that it was not going to be the case. So it was an uncomfortable year, um, moments of like feeling really like good. And then moments of like kind of feeling pretty low, to be honest, even though I had mm -hmm. all these exciting things, it still wasn't easy. So, yeah, I think a lot of it, it, it sounds like there definitely is. It's so, it has been so much of your life, your identity is wrapped in it for everybody else. And so like being able to express that to everybody that's like, Shalane, you know, hands up. And you're like, I know, I just kind of, I do feel like I want to take a step back. And do, do you feel part of that was also not wanting to like let other people down from like the Shalane show? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's funny. Cause you know, I, I would have thought that like Jerry and Nike would have been like, okay, you've been around forever. Like, yeah, let's get moving. Like push me out the door. Um, but they were very like, no, let's really make sure. Like they were kind of clinging on to my career more than I was. Um, so I think it, in a way, they were the ones that made me wait this past year to really conclude that that's what I wanted, which I really appreciate that support. Um, but I'm pretty good at saying no if I don't want to do something um, in general. So, uh, yeah, I just it, that that time period was good and bad because it really did confirm where, where my intentions were lying. Um, but, yeah, it's it's been fun, you know with my, even just my family, I've gotten a lot of joy of seeing their joy and my success. So yeah, like I'm going to miss certain aspects, you know, going to the Olympic trials and, um, they've been at every Olympic trials and to, to have them still go. And now they're going to be supporting me as a coach and my athletes, but seeing like their joy at some of those events, um, really fueled me and fed me. So it'll be kind of a strange, uh, feeling not being the one competing and, um, having, that kind of uh, feedback from them, but they're going to, you know, they've transitioned to um, supporting me as a coach. And that's a huge opportunity. As we know, um, there are not a lot of female coaches and I really want to show that it's a, it's a great career um, if you want to pursue this. And hopefully that's, you know, my next, uh, you know, chapter of my life. Yeah, I feel like I'm stealing the floor a little bit here. I'm going to let some of these ladies go ahead and dig into the Selene land. But uh, it's just so encouraging to just hear your perspective on things and have you, you know, speak your truth and in, in transitions and in that space and where you're going right now, because um, we do need you. And we're so thankful to have um, uh, not only like a woman coach, but a fantastic person as someone who's going to be giving back to the future generations. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And just on what you're saying about your passion for running and your career, like until you decided to retire, it sounds like you've been able to really bridge that, you know, with all these other projects and realize, oh, wait, there, the passion for those things are now getting a chance to grow and expand. And it's really been able to help you like go from one to the other. Do you feel like that's been a very nice thing to be able to do? To just like bridge it that way without this like void of who am I? What am I? What else? All these other things that can really come in a, a, during a transition like that. My dad from like the very beginning of my career, for some reason, always ingrained it in me to obviously be fully committed to my running and my career. But at the same time, 
to just always be thinking about what's after because I both my parents were runners and um, not at the level that I've been competing at, but they I think witnessed um, that transition for a lot of people, no matter what it is that you're doing in life and you're you're kind of like taking on the second mountain of your life, it's it's uncomfortable and challenging. And so for some reason, my dad always made it really clear to me that athletics was a temporary thing um, and that there should be more to life and to have my athletics set me up to do like whatever it is next that I really want to do, not feel like forced and pigeonholed into another career. And so he always had me thinking throughout my whole running career about what I was going to do next and what my contributions were going to be. So for sure, that was like instilled in me from my dad for some reason. Um, but it's definitely helped ease the transition. But like I said, even though I had these other things to look forward to, it still is not not easy. Yeah, um, there's a grief. Is there a grief of like just like it being over or like a sadness around that? Or yeah, yeah. It, it's not. Res- it doesn't sound like a resistance towards it. More just like a like a sadness around it. Or. Yeah, it was, I mean, I was, I was definitely sad as I was preparing for uh, my last race, New York um, in 2018. Um, yeah, 2018. Um, a lot of people didn't know that that was going to really be my last race, but I knew in my heart. And so with each workout that I finished in that cycle of that buildup, I was like a little sad about it. But honestly, the day that I, I shared my intentions of retiring, I actually felt a huge relief and a like of sharing my intentions. I didn't like knowing that that I, I knew that internally, but I wasn't sharing it with mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I felt actually really good. And, um, I got some of the most kind notes, um, from people, uh, regarding my career and the impact. And that made me feel so good and no tears regarding that until my coach's daughter sent me like the most beautiful note. Um, I've known McKenna uh, Schumacher since she was like eight and now she runs at university of Washington and She's like, I just felt like you were like Santa Claus. Like it was just one of those things like you, you think that it's like real, real, real forever. And then when someone tells you that there's no Santa Claus, she's like, I just thought you were going to run forever. And I never thought you would ever retire. So she was very upset about it um, and crying, which made me cry. So, um, but I was like, no, McKenna, we've, I've been telling you this. It's, it's got to end at some point. <laughs> but, <laughs> it does um, happen. Yeah. <laughs> it made me feel very good. Um, uh, but yeah, like I, in general, I was really happy about it. But like I said, I had kind of like a year transition that mm-hmm. I was working through, through myself, um, mm-hmm. uh, to get me to this place. So yeah. 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 Shalane, I saw you mentioned, um, I think it might have been on Twitter that you watched the Lindsay Vaughn documentary on, was it HBO? Is that something you can identify with as an athlete near the end of your career, making that transition and seeing how um, difficult it is and how the team around you is, like you said, kind of having trouble with it too, but also um, there's so much to look forward to. And you mentioned this, did, have you read the book, The Second Mountain also? Yes. Do you I'm hear like, my reference of the yes. Second Mountain? Yeah, that yeah. has helped too. You know, I, I've been kind of geeking out, you know, trying to like personal growth. And so there's a few things that like the Lindsey Vaughn documentary you just mentioned, and then the book, The Second Mountain. Um, I think it's always just good to just learn and, and help yourself and aid yourself in transitions. And um, I don't have all the answers. And um, but yeah, like, I don't know where that you were going with that question with Lindsey Vaughn uh, documentary, but I don't know if you guys have had a chance to watch it. But um, I just it really resonated with me. Um, I think there's parts of our sport, um, and moments that actually can be kind of lonely. You know, I, in the last couple of years, I, I did have a team, um, of women to train with, 
But there were also a lot more times in my career was training actually alone and, um, you know, sitting in hotel rooms about to compete. And, you know, I didn't have any family or friends with me or coaches and just thinking like, what am I doing? <laughs> um, I really miss, you know, miss uh, the people that I love. And um, I love this sport, but there are a lot of like lonely moments in professional athletics and tough moments to work through. And I don't think people see that side a lot. And I felt like Lindsay's account um, was very honest. Um, and I loved seeing that the kind of this, the, the darker, sadder side, because it, it just resonated with me that it is there. There's all these great moments that, you know, you're propped up. They show these great moments, Molly, of you winning all these titles. Um, but I'm sure you've struggled through some moments um, of just feeling lonely and lost. And um, that's what I just loved about uh, Lindsay's documentary. And then on top of it, just, yeah, having something that you love so much and it was such a big part of your life. And then all of a sudden it's gone. And, and where do you go from there? And how do you channel all that knowledge and um, passion into something else? And it was just, I thought, a great documentary. And I think that's a piece that Lindsay Krause should maybe touch on at some point. Um, just the you transition. You can be the subject. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can. I can at least uh, share some of you know the darker moments that I've had um, that you know I maybe not, haven't shared as much. Um, I would love to contribute and just just show that it's it's normal to feel that way. And I love that about um, Lindsay's uh, um, Lindsay Vaughn's documentary. Yeah, and even with yeah. the expectation that you knew that this transition was going to happen eventually, your dad had always warned you about it it was still hard and you still felt very vulnerable in that. And there's, you know, actually there's research on that transition for athletes and can be very destructive time actually for a lot of people and their family and mental health, everything. So it's really great that even though you had the support, you're recognizing it wasn't, wasn't easy. Right. And I think there's not enough of a conversation around that. So I would love to. Yeah. I mean, we saw like Michael Phelps really struggled when he, um, when he retired at one point and you see it with a Mm -hmm. lot of Mm -hmm. athletes and, um, yeah. yeah, And I think it's just, it has actually almost even helped that I've had some injuries to overcome some surgeries and I kind of like pour myself into that. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. 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 How is that recovery going with the knee surgeries? Where are you at with that right now? And, um, what's it look like for being able to run for fun? Um, gosh, I'm so helpful that, um, I will be pain-free in about four months and can start to do a little running, but I never foresaw this coming, to be honest with my knees. It just really crept up on me all of a sudden, like people used to come up to me. I'm sure you guys hear it too. Um, when you're out running and be like, oh, that's so bad for your knees. And I'd, I'd laugh and I'd be like, I've never, my knees have never hurt. Um, so really just evolved in the last uh, year or so that my knees started to slowly get a little creakier. Um, But yeah, I had my first surgery in April this past year on my right knee. Um, And then I was hopeful we did some other treatments to the left um, while I was under for my right knee to try to um, naturally kind of homeopathic heal it with um, some bone marrow treatment that they took out of my hip that didn't feel so good. Um, And then some PRP, um, which is essentially spinning down your, uh, your own blood into really rich red blood cell platelets and you inject it in the damaged tissue area and it's supposed to heal it naturally with your own blood, basically just getting more circulation. But come to find out, um, as soon as I started back up running, um, the right knee feel, felt great, which is my surgery knee. Um, and my good knee um, that didn't have surgery was starting to hurt more and more and it was just too painful. And So I tried to rehab and just get it back um, to feeling good, but I couldn't. And 
an MRI showed that it actually was in worse condition, mm -hmm. um, incredibly. So I had to go back in again and get that um, knee just done. And fortunately, the second time around was much smoother. I think just mentally knowing what to anticipate. Um, I'd never had really any surgeries before like this. So knowing what to anticipate. Um, and it was much less painful. I had it done in Minneapolis, whereas the first one was done in Vail at altitude at like 8,000 feet. And I think the swelling and some of the, you know, the PRP injections and stuff just made it really excruciating, to be honest. And I was like crying on the plane ride to go to Minneapolis because I just did not want to have the surgery again. I was like desperate to do anything but have it again because my husband can attest there were a lot of tears um, in the first month with my other knee. It was really painful. Um, and I think I have a pretty high pain threshold. So it's just saying a lot. It was it was quite extensive. Um, you know, I, I have cadaver tendons in both knees now and the patella tendons. I don't have patella tendons basically of my own anymore. They're hamstring tendons of cadavers. Um, the right knee is a 21-year-old uh, male and a 38-year-old woman is now on my left knee. So I'm very grateful for, um, you know, this modern medicine that um, we weren't taking my actual hamstrings. I was able to use cadaver tendons, but they're screwed in in my shins and in my kneecap. And it was quite extensive. And But I'm doing so much better on the left. It's already feels, I don't know why, but so much better. My range of motion and my pain is just a lot better. So I'm, I'm glad you guys caught me, um, you know, a week later after surgery, like last time would have not been good. I was still been on some painkillers, but no yeah. painkillers today. So, um, I'm That'd very have been a fun interview. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're very lucid today, Shalane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was pretty surprised when you were like, oh, I'm going to get knee surgery. And then, yeah, let's look at the week after. I was like, I'm just going to go ahead and check in on you as close to like that day as possible. But yeah, we're glad that you're, you're feeling much better. And like you said, I think it's, it's pretty interesting that you had the injuries sadly as well, though, to, you know, kind of get your mind off of moving into something else. And it probably allowed you a little bit of brain space to focus on, on that. So yeah, yeah. well, we wish you the best of luck with, with um, your knees. And one of the things um, I just wanted to go back on is you talked about something that we talked about back in 2015. I remember sharing a run with you guys and you and your, your the Bowerman Track Club girls in, uh, I think we were still in training camp at, in Japan. We were heading over to Beijing for the world championships and uh, just blatantly just kind of be like, oh, so like, you know, what do you, what are some of the next steps you want to do? And you were like, I want it all. And I was like, I love you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you wanted to be the author, you wanted to be the mom. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, you wanted another shot at Boston. And, um, you know, I kind of just heard you touch on that just now about your transitional space and just wanting to also move into, um, you know, focusing more on coaching, but also focusing on family aspect. And what does that look like for you? What do you, what are you thinking? Can we dive into that? Cause of course, yes, you know. I do want it all. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So just starting off, um, with the coaching so far, that's, that's going well. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm being given more and more responsibility. And I think just having it, uh, being conclusive that I am a coach now, you know, like last mm -hmm. year was a, a little awkward just because, you know, the girls knew that was the intention and the eventual step. But I think because it wasn't official, they were like worried about bothering me because maybe I was rehabbing or I was trying to get myself ready as an athlete. But once I was like, I'm not an athlete and I'm all about you, that mm -hmm. made things so much better. So I feel like I actually have some autonomy and say and 
um, responsibility, which I love. So that that's going great and learning every day, lots of things from Jerry and Pascal and um, finding my own niche and area to contribute. So that's, that's great. Um, Steven and I um, would love to have a family. We're uh, have been in the adoption process for quite a while, um, so, which is quite lengthy, to be honest. And um, it's hard waiting and sitting, um, but we're hopeful that something in this next year will happen. Um, we're looking to adopt domestically um, mm. and um, probably an infant is what we're in. We're in an infant adoption program. Um, but yeah, we, we've been notified of a few different women, um, mothers that are interested in us. And so we'll wait and see where that goes. But, um, one, one woman may be having twins, so who knows what'll happen, but oh I'm my gosh, very excited so about that, uh, that possibility in addition to our life. And, um, yeah, and Steven is in coaching as well, and he coaches a local high school here. So, um, coaching family and, uh, Elise and I, uh, just released, uh, a journal, uh, um, that'll be coming out on December 17th. So that'll be fun. Um, a food journal and, uh, meal planner slash, you know, combo. And then we are working on a, a third cookbook as well. So, um, we're, we're, we're busy here. It's good. <laughs> Yay. And we're to make it even wilder. I love it. That's so yes. awesome. And on your cookbook, it seems like it's, you know, obviously it's a New York Times bestseller, two of them, and now this, um, the Meal Planner Journal, which sounds great too. Um, it's been so successful. So you have been able to like jump from mountain to mountain already <laughs> when that, in that regard, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think it was really necessary. You know, we talk about, we know in this time, people are like, oh, what am I supposed to eat? There's a lot of inf- there's information overload. Um, and I really appreciated your book coming out in the time kind of bringing making it real for people showing athletes how to eat how to be healthy um and it was just such a great time for that that really filled a need there yeah I you know um in college I witnessed a lot of eating disorders so that was kind of like my my motivation was to help young athletes men and women um but yeah I I at least and I just um just felt like it, there was this need and you know I, I it was in a in a selfish way her her knowledge was helping me and I just felt like we had to share it and um yeah I think at this point in time with everything that's going on um in athletics and regarding Mary Kane you know uh we're hoping that our our book could be you know a happy spotlight and a great resource I think that's the greatest joy I get is that people trust us and um you know young women and men that are um, having eating disorders and they, they trust our cookbook. We get great letters just saying like, you know, I don't know who to trust. I, I don't even trust nutritionists, but we, for some reason, I trust you, Shalane. I trust you, Elise. And um, we, we really take that seriously. Uh, so it's, it's great to get nutritional advice, but to actually like give people recipes that they can cook at home um, is really powerful to have them be able to take, uh, control of mm-hmm. their life. And a lot of times those diseases are about control. So for them to get in the kitchen and control what they're doing and take, um, ownership over it is really powerful. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the greatest things I feel like I've been able to do to work with best friend of 20 years that at least I've known each other and to, um, create something that we really feel like has a really great positive effect, mm-hmm. um, is, just really fulfilling. Yeah. yeah. 
Shalane, I feel like um, that kind of a nourishing diet is part of what's helped you compete with the best in the world for so long. And I think you've done a lot of other things right throughout your career as far as um, from when you were a junior all the way up to now. Um, can you dive into any of those? Because we see, like you said, too many young women who aren't making it to the point in the sport where your body can be um, its best, which is in distance running, like a little bit later, usually late 20s. So a lot of high school aged women and college aged women kind of get lost in the sport. What do you think got you through that period so strongly? And um, not that there weren't bumps, but um, mm -hmm. what else did you learn? Yeah, I'm not going to say I was perfect. And, and in fact, you know, I think Elise really extended my career with her knowledge and helping me because when Molly, as you know, when you transition to the marathon, I mean, I'm hungry all the time when I'm marathoning and trying to find the right foods to fuel me and feel nourished and recovered was really starting to become difficult. And I wasn't sure if um, I could sustain my career much longer um, because I just didn't feel like um, I had energy. I felt really depleted. Um, but yeah, I think in, in high school, I was really naive. I didn't know anything about nutrition. I didn't even know anything about eating disorders. But when I arrived at the University of North Carolina, um, my roommate at the time actually had a really bad eating disorder, um, and I was just in shock. And um, in a in a weird way, I actually ended up gaining weight um, in college because I was almost compensating for the women that weren't eating, and I was trying to set a good example so that I would I would like overeat and almost feel sick, and then I would you know just question like what this is not working because they weren't actually paying attention to the fact I was eating too much food. So I was trying to set a good example, but then I was almost self-sabotaging in that way. Um, so probably in college, I probably like was, um, you know, I'm over, almost overindulging probably a little bit. But then um, when I became a professional athlete, I remember looking around um, my first Olympics um, in 2004 and, and looking at the starting line and thinking like, I don't really look like these women. Is this what it takes to be like really elite? Even though I earned my way to my first Olympics, I remember thinking like, I don't look like uh, the rest of the elites. And I think in that first year, I, I didn't, I wouldn't say I had the healthiest relationship my first year out of college because I was trying to make this transition of trying to look the part. Um, even though I was already running at the level that was great, I, for some reason, started to doubt myself and question. So I for sure have had moments where I'm like, oh, I should look a certain way. But um, I guess I just, uh, because of my coaches and my family, they've always just pointed me in the right direction and um, just made me realize that I was good enough as I was and I didn't need to try to fit some, you know, vision of what an elite runner looks like. Um, I think really with time and just age, my body has changed tremendously. If you were to take photos of me in college winning national championships to, you know, a year ago in New York, my body is massively different. And it's taken such a long incremental amount of time to get to that physique. Um, and it's not an overnight thing and it shouldn't be rushed or forced. Um, we're all given a certain body type and we make the best of what we are, but there's by no means should we be trying to fit this certain typical mold. And, you know, even on my Bowerman women's team, we have a variety of heights and sizes and they're all Olympians and they're all amazing and with medals. And so to say that there's a one size fits all is just ridiculous. So, um, uh, but I'm really grateful for Elise and her knowledge because she really did 
I think extend my career and made me really healthy. She couldn't save my knees. I don't know what the heck was wrong with that. Um, but uh, everything else, I just felt really, um, I felt happy and well-nourished in the last part of my career because of uh, the knowledge that she gave me. That's that's so awesome. I think something that you just touched on was, um, you know, Mary Kane and what's going on with that whole, uh, her issue. Well, I wouldn't want to call it her issue, but the issue with um, having the conversation um, around weight in sports with your coaches. Um, and like you'd mentioned is like you felt like and I, I also know what you're talking about, the transition from going from a college athlete that's doing really, really well and doing the other side of just like, you know, yes, you know, I'm just going to eat all this stuff and then being like, OK, I need like a little bit of a balance here. Um mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, restricting too far on the other side and then finding that middle ground. How do you feel like from a coaching perspective, um, a coach and an athlete can have that conversation um, healthily about, you know, nutrition and perhaps maybe weight comes into it? How would you like maybe go about that um, from a coaching perspective? Yeah, well, I lean pretty heavily um, on my cookbooks as a resource. So I I encourage them to cook from our cookbooks a lot. And I actually have them recipe test quite a bit. So I'm constantly giving them foods that are like basically not like being a dictatorship and saying like, this is what you have to eat. But like here, these are options. These are ways you can eat. Um, and the women are actually all really into cooking, um, which is great. Uh, So I think that's, that's the big step is teaching them the fundamentals of just good nutrition. Um, mm-hmm. I think right there, just giving them the tools for them to cook for themselves and knowing what is good food um, to fuel them. And then it's up to them, um, you know, how they want to execute their uh, diet regimen. Um, but at this level, I feel like everyone's really pretty self-aware in terms of just knowing their bodies and they know that in the off season that their physique should naturally look different than when they're in peak season. And I always tell them that, you know, that that peak weight is only going to last you about a month. It's not a, a sustainable um, physique that you should be holding all year round, because if you are, um, I think that leads to injuries and kind of a burnout uh, mentality. So the women are really good. You know, they they know what they need to do. Um, so, but I, you know, I work with some really high level athletes. Um, and so they're very Mm self-aware, but there, you know, there are times that, um, they have come to me, um, a variety of them have, you know, um, had issues with their cycle and we're, we're just very open. Um, I think, you know, they have mentioned to like Jerry in the past a few times, but I'll be honest, I don't think he's very comfortable talking about that. So it's definitely an area that I am, I'm very more than willing to talk about. Um, and, you know, we go over what they're consuming to make sure they're having enough healthy fat so that they're getting their cycle. And, you know, there are outside factors of stress in life that are also influencing because it's not mm-hmm. just diet. Sometimes it's other things. So, um, yeah, there's there's lots of ways. But I think just just creating an atmosphere where they feel like they can talk to me is the, is the biggest thing that I they genuinely know I care about them as a person first and first and foremost. And then, yeah, it's great to be really fast too. And that's, that's always great. <laughs> but first and foremost, I care about their health and their long, their long-term well-being. I want them to be able to have children if they want to, I want them to do everything that beyond running. So mm-hmm. that's always the first and foremost. Yeah. I your think- perspective is so important. 
So, in coaching, whether it's um, we need more good coaches out there and whether it's men or women, I think that is the key to good coaching is letting your athletes know that you care about how they do. Um, and then from there, you can you can really have a bigger impact. So that's really important that they have you there um, when you have that kind of coaching style, I think. Yeah, and I heard um, an interview recently with um, Shelby talking about how like she didn't really cook before, and then now she like loves it. From, she from does. your book, from she your yeah, using your book, right? And like she actually has taken one of our recipes. It's like fish tacos with this mango avocado salsa, but she calls them Shelby's tacos, and I'm like Shelby, they're not your, <laughs> not your tacos. It's a big joke on the team. She's like, who wants Shelby's tacos tonight? And I'm like, it's my recipe. <laughs> so, no, I love it. Great cook. They love cooking together. They're like, it's a very unique dynamic if you think about it. You know, so we have, uh, you know, like 12 women and we send them to altitude camp and they're all living together. Can you imagine working and living with your coworkers? Um, so, but one thing that, you know, I think helps them bond and not become stressed out at times is actually cooking. So they love to get in the kitchen and cook together. They, they love meal planning out their week. And I think it's kind of like the highlight and the thing to do is, is to cook and, um, I think they they really have gotten it's like a passion of theirs now, too. So it's good. That's awesome. Um, I want to go back a little bit and just um, talk about, obviously, a controversial topic um, mm-hmm. right now with, you know, things that are happening with the Nike being under fire with a lot of support towards um, a coach who um, was helping athletes dope and um, also, you know, inciting eating disorders or making abusing athletes basically from that perspective. Um, I kind of want to know from your standpoint, like how are you feeling with, you know, knowing you've had this conversation with Nike about being a coach and you're having this beautiful transition. And then on the other side, I just know you shared a tweet that was basically like, I had no idea it was this bad. And I really, really, I shared with you the sentiment. I really appreciated you saying like, I will never turn my blind eye again. And how important that was for people to see you saying that because I understand. I fully understand. Um, having been, uh, you know, an athlete who is sponsored by a certain company, and then you you know all these things that are going on. But um, now knowing that you're moving forward with with Nike and the responsibility that you have to uphold ethics and values that you know ultimately are helping rebuild um, a tarnished, um, you know what I mean, a tarnished reputation. Mm-hmm. Well, how are you how are you feeling about that type of responsibility that's now on you? And I'm just again saying how appreciative I am of your of you being vocal about it, but totally understanding how hard it also must have been um to speak out about that because you're ultimately also, you know, being paid by a, a company that was helping in other areas, I guess, in terms of endorsement. Um what do you what are, what are some of your thoughts if you're willing to share? To be honest, it's not been an easy situation here um, in Portland. It is, on one end, you know, in, in any entity, um, there is good and bad. And I've had a really great experience working with Nike um, and the relationships that I've built and the team that I have um, all are, I feel like, really great contributing factors to the world and to our running community and great leaders. and. Um, so, but that being said at the same time, so you have this great, uh, great relationship with a variety of people and really care about them deeply. Um, but then on the same token, this entity also is, um, has some aspects that you're, 
you're not happy about you like, you know, not, not going to bed feeling really good about, um, just feeling unsettled and upset and, um, and at times feeling like if you, if you say something or you don't say something, um, it's, it upsets people no matter what, um, the position that we're in. Um, and to be honest, you know, like the Bowerman women, um, have come to me a lot in the last month and just, you know, like literally in tears and really upset because if we don't say anything, we look complicit. Um, but yet if we do say something, um, we don't want to throw all the good people at Nike under the bus as well. So it's this really fine line and really, I, I just describe it as very uncomfortable. Um, and I feel like the best thing that we can do, and I'm actually literally going to be meeting with some of the women today, um, is, you know, start to form a conversation with Nike and finding and aligning with the right people um, to have a conversation about how we're feeling. Um, not that anything will be done, but we just, I think, want to share our concerns and um, just how we're feeling. And I think that starting the conversation and maybe aligning ourselves with certain people within the company, um, maybe there's something we can do. Um, but I think in general, just to um, at least start a conversation will make us feel better, like we're actually doing something. Um, and at the end of the day, I, I feel like the best thing we can do is is lead by example and um, continue to do great things in our community. You know, Bowerman, um, we do a lot in the community. We have a huge network youth program that we run here. Um, we have uh, sub elites and masters and, you know, we, we're comprised of probably about a thousand people here in Portland that are just really great people. And I feel like, um, each day we we try to make great decisions to show that we love and care about running and and our community. So, um, but again, like that being said, you know, I, I have been here a long time and I have witnessed some things that don't make me feel good. I did witness um, Mary um, on numerous occasions really upset and not looking happy. Um, but at the same time, I, I guess I felt um, maybe intimidated and, um, like I was going to be overstepping boundaries if I were to inquire what was wrong with her. And I regret not having stepped in and just asked her like, Mary, are you okay? At least mm -hmm. given her that space and that opportunity to give a response to me. Um, I, I wish I had just extended that olive branch. And, um, I have with other athletes, um, uh, you know, former NLP athletes, reached out and extended the olive branch numerous times um, to check in on them when I've been concerned. So, you know, Mary was a really good lesson um, that I, it stuck with me knowing I, I didn't, had no idea it was so bad and that, um, that just really scares me. Um, mm -hmm. At the end of the day, we're all humans. And if we see someone struggling, it shouldn't matter that um, they're running for another club that like kind of disgusts me that I would um, just completely ignore it and just, you know, think, well, it's none of my business. It, it kind of is my business. So um, especially when it just comes to just being a good person. So yeah, um, yeah it's, it's not been really fun um, time, but I'm hopeful that, um, that we can do some good things and um, we can start a conversation with Nike with our women's group actually. So that's what we're working towards right now. Oh, thank you so much for putting that together. That's so important. And I do think you mentioned a really good thing about just like the the good people that are obviously within Nike too that aren't that aren't happy and you being one of them. And I think one of the things that really was moving for me was the the walkout 
um, with the Nike employees, and it really showed a massive amount of people who were unhappy and um, shared unrest. But ultimately, it's really hard um, to bite the hand that feeds you. So thank you for yeah. sharing that. And I really, I really hope for um, the best in conversation. And like you said, um, you know, being able to just start the conversation, I think that um, that shows you know, there needs to be a space of movement here and that you guys aren't happy. And that's something I think the company needs to see, especially a group of, I mean, women banding together and talking about the issues that um, they are also put under by, you know, being sponsored by yeah, Nike. You, but it's also- your guys' voice and your, yeah. your own platforms and power. To, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I think we- want to share with you one of the most important pieces of why we started this podcast. Um, for us, you know, obviously there's been a void in sharing women's stories and um, doing a better job of highlighting those. And we wanted to know, I mean, you've shared a ton with us. If there was anything within your story um, that you feel like could better be highlighted and that you'd like to share more of that we can touch on? My story in particular? Yeah. Oh. Um, no, uh, you know, I guess Lindsay Krauss actually found this interesting, so I don't, I don't know if it is interesting, but she, um, she, I had shared, I think, uh, in an interview that, um, this position of me becoming a professional coach, um, I shared that, that Nike didn't come to me with this idea. I actually went in and advocated for myself that I wanted to, um, be a Bowerman coach. And I was supported by Jerry and Pascal and the athletes, but, um, it's not like they came to me and were begging me to continue with Nike to be a coach. Um, I actually went in and just said, I think I can be an asset. And I think that, um, I have something to give and they listened to me and supported me and agreed. But, um, I think the message there is that if you do want something, um, you, you, sometimes you have to advocate for yourself. You can't mm -hmm. just sit back and wait for things to happen. Um, it's probably synonymous with a lot of my racing styles throughout my career. Um, that if, um, it's, it's like this fine line of flow of, of pushing the boundaries, but also, um, you know, letting things happen naturally. And, um, ironically, I just feel like I've come into this coaching moment, like at the right time, it's much needed. And I feel like th this is an opportunity to showcase that this is a, a legitimate career path for a lot of women. And, um, but to not be afraid of advocating for yourself if you think you're going to be good at something and taking that leap of faith to just kind of um, push people to accept um, maybe your vision and your goal. And um, like I said, I was I was lucky that they were supportive, um, but it's not like they were uh, banging on my door asking me to take on this role. I just felt like it was a much needed role and I created it for myself. So I um, encourage people to at times take on that same mentality of um, just being aggressive about things that you want. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Shalane, yeah. I'll say watching your career, it's been something you've done well, whether it's going for um, goals that um, aren't always in the forefront of our minds. You were kind of a pioneer on the running scene. You're a pioneer as far as advocating for yourself and coaching and I know you helped grow the group of women that you have there that was in part due to you advocating for more women in the group so you definitely live that I'd say that's one of the most inspiring things about your um your yourself as a person and athlete 
So thanks so much for sharing that with us. Um, is that something you've always had? Shalane, sorry, Molly, just on that. Like, is that something you've always like just been born with this? Like, I have this vision for myself or ambition for myself. Or is this something that's evolved over or just running taught you that or yeah? Um, I think it's again in line with kind of a mantra or, you know, thing that I've always kind of said to myself is like just to operate on the level of no regrets. And the worst case Nike could have said was like, no, we don't want to do it. And I'm like, okay, then I'll find another situation. So I think it's just operating on this, maybe a level, I guess, of fear of not, uh, not attaining everything or trying to at least, you know, explore the option of everything I want to do. Um, but yeah, just kind of operating on the level of just having no regrets. I think that's, I feel good about, about myself at the end of the day, if I just felt like, okay, well, I, I gave it my all and that's, is what it is. And just, just living with no regrets. So just, I guess that's, that's where it, it kind of stems from. And, um, maybe just, you know, athletics, I think has been great. It's given me a lot of self-confidence, like it does for a lot of people and a lot yeah. of young women. And I think that um, my athletic career has just allowed me to continually, continually believe in myself more and more. Um, and it's not that I don't have moments of doubt, but yeah, athletics has propelled me to have these kind of moments of thinking like, well, why not me? So mm -hmm. yeah. why this, not? I love the story when you guys, uh, I think I, Elise, I was there when she was telling the story where when you guys were coming up with the cookbook, your like publisher was like, hey, don't even think about like you're getting on New York Times or anything like that. And you guys are like, yeah, we'll show them. Elise <laughs> is like, very competitive. Yeah. Don't let her fool you. Oh, just Elise, <laughs> so right. Just and Elise. She, we, you know, she wrote down like goals for our book. And I'm like, I don't even know what goals we should have. But yeah, New York Times sounds great. Let's do that. <laughs> so um, yeah, our publisher's like, oh, that's so cute, honey. Like you guys should not have that as a goal. Like, but Elise was adamant about it. And because it was her dream, it became mine. My dream so um whenever we publish something that's that's the goal is to just um have a big impact and obviously uh the more sales it means the more reach um it's having so everyone wins in that aspect so yeah so inspiring <laughs> yeah Celine, you've definitely had a huge impact not only on the sport but on those other areas that you've been dedicating yourself too so we're so glad we got to talk to you i feel like we could obviously talk for another hour about i'm like i'm not going anywhere i've got loads more <laughs> um, we'll have to have a shalane part two so we'll see <laughs> okay and then i get to ask some questions in return yes. then. Yeah. oh yeah <laughs> okay so good yeah well thank you so much for hanging out with us and we really appreciate you coming on and keeping track yeah, thank you guys. Great to talk to you. Thank you. Yeah. Take Thanks, Shalane. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Keep Major shout-outs to What Cheer Writers Club Podcasting Studio, a nonprofit supporting Rhode Island's content creators and where Roshin and I record, and to Rudy Nakashima for our funky outro song. Thanks, guys. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. 
Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.